Hey, everybody. Welcome back to your favorite media response show, X's for Show, which you can check out on all your social at X's for Show. As for me, I'm Nico, and you can check me out at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I'm TK. You can find me at TK Elemental. And I'm in the corner watching you talk comics. I am your producer, Kev O'Reilly, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. And we are, of course, here to talk everybody's favorite thing this time of year, or maybe just today, depending on the lack of releases from Marvel this year. We are here to talk Halloween comics. Now, uh, you know, my first question is sort of like, Marvel has this ability to make an identity out of spooky comics. You know what I mean? Uh, like spooky can be a line of books, not just a single title. So my question for you becomes, Teak, what makes a good spooky book spooky? Uh, um, I think one of the really big things is knowing how to interact with the genre tropes within the limits of comics um one of the reasons i flipped out over ben percy's ghost rider run when it started was because it felt for the first time like somebody was trying to deliver the most intense horror you could put in a big two comic um that also recognized that like you're not gonna have jump scares the gore is not going to be R-rated movie gore. It's not even going to really be like scream relatively safe for teens gore. It's going to be safe for an eight-year-old probably. Um, but within that stuff, you can still do a lot to call on the conventions of the genre and to make use of the medium of comics. And when that really flies, and I will say, you know, I, I think there's a ton of great independent horror comics and spooky comics because the rules are a little different for those people. Um, and so, you know, when Marvel really, when it's firing on all cylinders, when the creative team really gets it, uh, it makes for a really great book. And I think we had some really solid ones this year. There was just a significant number fewer this year than previous years. Uh, most years, Marvel would do some sort of unlimited book uh, mm -hmm. day of Halloween, just something mm -hmm. that made it seem like it was Halloween. And, you know, I think part of what is, you know, part of the conversation when it comes to what's a spooky book or not, I think the spookiest spooky books require something that gives them an atmosphere, something that gives them a sense of um, uncertainty, of maybe even like a lack of safety almost. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, that's kind of the problem with comics being about life or death situations at the big two all the time it's hard to make a scary life or death situation seem more frightening than an action life or death situation uh and it all starts to run together which is why i think ghost rider has consistently worked because it is constantly in that zone of like everybody's already dead anyway this guy is a walking flaming skull the stakes of this are not whether or not he survives a lot of the time but more like oh is this whole town about to burn up like is is there a demon that is sacrificing people and can that be stopped and i think that really works in its favor that so often it's not about like oh will this person that clearly has to survive survive and I think 
for me, it's actually a little bit the opposite. Uh, I'm reading a lot of Ghostwriter right now, and the Ghostwriter that works the least for me is the Ghostwriter where it's like the whole town is going to go up. I don't care because we always find out that the whole town is full of horrible people or it's just to murder children, and there's never an actual balance to it. It's just like it's a scary story, but there's no way that it's a Ghostwriter scary story. It's not even really always a Marvel scary story. I think my big thing for what makes Ghostwriter work is that there is a sense of the darkness. Mm-hmm. With Punisher, there's always a sense of blood. With um, somebody scary like Doctor Strange, there's always a sense of the macabre. But with Ghost Rider, it's kind of about the shadows and the back alleys and what's creeping, right? And I think for me, that's what makes Ghost Rider work a little bit more. Um, because I just don't find, you know, damn you, the flames of hell are coming for you and I shall burn you forever. Uh, it just winds up like whenever Marvel tries to go grimdark, it winds up being a little silly. So I think uh, one of the things I need in my spooky stories is I need a little bit of like self-aware humor. It's got to be a little Marvel in the 70s, uh, a little bit less Marvel in the 90s. Interesting. So, uh, you know, and I think that's even the nature of the way. uh, Hey, Robbie, always love seeing Robbie, especially on a Halloween day like today. Robbie says I love me a good spooky ooky comic. Don't we all? You know, and I, I think that really is like a part of where I'm sometimes at a loss with some of these books. Like I love when Ghost Rider goes scary, cool body horror places. But like when a character in any book, not Ghost Rider, in any horror comic says, I'm going to turn you inside out and then rip the flesh from your bones. Oh, my God. I, I heard that in Sunday school. That's just not threatening if it's at church. Right. And so like. I really need the fear to go somewhere different, um, somewhere unique. And I feel like we got a little bit of everything with this year's uh, bunch of spooky comics. We got some legitimately scary. We got some stuff that I think is meant to be scary, but I just find it kind of funny. And then um, got some in between. Yeah, I think that's accurate. And uh, today we're going to be taking a look at uh, the a handful of titles that uh, were released by Marvel this year. And uh, so I actually feel really so stupid about this. I actually cannot figure out how to get this slide up on the screen. So uh, I just need to say it that way right now because I, I don't know. What to... One sec. Is it? This? Yeah, there we go. Ah. Uh, no ma- no ma- uh, it's coming back. Cool. There you go. So uh, as soon as I click it, it just says remove. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So um, we're going to be taking a look at the Ghost Rider Annual. We're going to be taking a look at Werewolf by Night, Crypt of Shadows, Hollow's Eve, the miniseries, as well as the Spider-Man Annual and Hollow's Eve, the Big Night one-shots. We're so, really uh, looking at uh, Hollow's Eve's 2023 oeuvre. Yeah, although I do want to say that Hollow's Eve really, uh, it's a tough conversation almost because I i did a lot, a lot, a lot of research to really be able to justify Hollow's Eve's um, existence. And, uh, you know, she actually didn't 
properly appear in spider timeline until she was inserted years later as having always had existed in a flashback mini and we just didn't know and then she doesn't appear for 10 years she has significantly more appearances in the mc2 universe than she has in this universe she's brought back a few times a few places and then one day she just comes back and they're like oh by the way here you go you can have magical masks it's almost like disrespectful that they don't have anything that makes it make sense we'll get into it all right well then let's just start uh with ghost rider what were your thoughts on the ghost rider annual then um and of course like my first thing is tying it to hollow's eve so i really loved this book uh but i the first thing that I noticed when I was doing all of our reading for this was that this book and Hallow's Eve, The Big Night, both take place during the night of Halloween. Uh, and, you know, we talk a lot about Marvel's ability to coordinate shipping and writing schedules and everything. This is like one of very few that you can guarantee these books are only going to come out in the month of october uh they are about halloween uh this is a guarantee you know i get that other stuff might come out that's a little more difficult but these are two one shots that definitely need to come out for halloween and so i was a little bummed when i finished all of my reading that these two especially that the big night and that uh infernal halloween didn't have some kind of connection because both are really saying something about what halloween is and the power that it holds uh and it just felt like kind of a waste of the monster sphere of the marvel verse to not tie things together in any possible way when you're talking about one night with big events that you know we all know is coming Setting that aside, um, I thought this was a fun Ghost Rider adventure. I, you know, with this, with Percy's run, I think they're all fun adventures. Like I'm having, I'm, I have a great time with all of them. Um, I, I love bringing Elsa Bloodstone into the mix. Uh, it was just for me, you know, probably not the most like, oh, I'll think about that forever. But like a really solid, like this was a fun Halloween, put it that way. And, you know, I think it's interesting that you wish that these were somehow tied together because I, in many ways, I hate that they're both on Halloween. It is almost frustrating for me that in a world where, quite literally, nine versions of Satan live in WeHo, we have to assume that magic is only by this one liturgical, vaguely Christian pagan calendar. And that was something I even wanted to touch in on a little bit before. We're seeing fewer and fewer Halloween specials in part because I just don't think Halloween has the same impact it used to. The spooky season is still really cool and we love the spooky season. But like in my neighborhood, they kind of say, kids, don't trick or treat. You don't know everybody in that neighborhood. Do not trick or treat. And we live in like, like a hey, nobody even really has a fence, kind of a neighborhood. So, like, you know, it's a little crazy when the idea is, um, you know, Halloween should still be what it was. Now, with this idea that Halloween has to evolve, 
I'm really okay with it that it is what seem like, you know, Judeo-Christian pagan uh, centric characters in Ghost Rider, very angel, devil, hell, you know, the hood trades on Christian dark magic identity stuff. Elsa Bloodstone and that Eurocentricness, very pagany. Um, but, you know, when I'm looking at this story, I cannot figure out for the life of me where... Uh, this story really feels necessary to be on Halloween. This would have been just as good a Ghost Rider four-part mini and uh, or four-part arc, and it would have done just as much. I think in so many ways, limiting this and giving the hood this big, amazing battle against the Ghost Rider and then kind of pulling back on it so much. Yeah, I think making this Halloween discredited in a big way because like Robbie says... Um, you know, I feel like Halloween is more a month event now than a weekend or a day like it used to be. But then that means this doesn't need to take place on Halloween. It could be the high season of magic lasts a whole lot longer than you think. And if you think there's only one demon trying to get in on one day, you're missing the point of, you know, a four day sale. And I don't mean to imply that I'm like really excited about the idea that both of these books could interrelate on Halloween. It's more that I mean that if they're both on Halloween, it's weird not to coordinate them in any way. Um, I I agree with you insofar as like it is now a whole season and two books that take place on Halloween night specifically, not really... Hollow's Eve, I think, is kind of necessary because it's in her name. I think you do have to give one night where she is on on Halloween. Ghost Rider, yeah, it really is not necessary. It's um, you know, this I and I like your your pitch for like it is the season itself. Uh it is the time of of the dark magic that that i would be totally cool with my thing is like part of me wants to go even further and really say i don't think we have enough of these books year round uh and getting them just for the month of october starts to feel a little uh you know while these don't need to be just seasonal this isn't pumpkin spice lattes like we can werewolves uh mythologically and in stories exist year round and especially because again we're in the marvel universe where the idea is that you should be in a world where everybody is magical like that is part of this universe's setup right this you know and i wasn't trying to be like oh well you said halloween and they should be connected no it's more like why is it that in a world where it's like multiple days make up halloween is it a one-day thing, and everything has to happen that day? And if I may, does having it be set at this event, does it boost sales? Is it better for the sales at all if they do a seasonal thing? Is well, there any component like that that makes them do it this way? For Ghost Rider Annual, like virtually, I'm virtually certain no, because it came out so early in October Uh, And, you know, it does say Ghost Rider versus the Hood's Infernal Halloween, but like that's not that's not much marketing there. Like if it had splashed across the page, giant size Halloween issue, I would maybe see that they were trying to do like really specifically a Halloween night thing. But then again, that speaks to my idea of like if they're going to do Halloween night, 
and multiple books have Halloween night, make that like the Halloween night books and talk, you know, make four of them and say, you know, this was what was happening on Halloween night throughout the Marvel universe. Uh, rather than just like, oh, you know, I guess Hallow's Eve was down here and they were up there and it was Halloween. What up? But I mean, that, that's kind of the nature of the Marvel Universe. Like, literally, they say it's just before Christmas and the snow is falling in Times Square. And then that's nine superheroes having a fight just before Christmas. As the, the snow is falling in Times Square where everybody says there's only six more days to get presents. So it's got to be the 19th. And we're just sort of left to, like, piece it together. And I think what I'm trying to get at is because they say these have to have taken place on Halloween, it's asking us to do that work in a way that we can't do that work. If you want to think about the sliding time scale of the Marvel Universe and about how long it's been since certain things have taken place, it has been 21 years, roughly, using Marvel's official t sliding time scale since the birth of Marvels, since the Fantastic Four number one. The problem with that is that means the Twin Towers never existed in the Marvel modern age. Ever. Yet, we can't really divorce the identity of New York and its original identity pre-9-11 from pre-9-11 Marvel Comics. So we wind up in this sliding timescale situation where we're never really forced to reconcile what happens on multiple days. I think the mistake is that pigeonholing this to a day and not a season is why we're kind of like, yeah, uh, so much stuff happened. Like the mistake really is in the marketing. It yeah, really oh, I completely agree with that. You know, it can't really all overlap. And, you know, I think what's really weird is there's no uh, Elsa on the cover of this. Yeah. Elsa is such a, uh, Ali Galactic. Um, you know, we uh, always got to talk nerd shit when you're at work. Gosh, because um, I work nights, so uh, I'm I'm at work while other people are at home, and so uh, we we make things real difficult. But that's that's the real horror of today. Um, you know, I was shocked that Elsa Bloodstone wasn't on the cover. Uh, she plays a pretty integral part of the story. And she is a pretty big mover and shaker in the Marvel Universe horror scene right now. So it was a little surprising to me that she didn't make it into this title. Yeah. Um, I, also, the cover. I also was very surprised by that. Um, but I, I don't really know what to do with it because, you know, I, I've got so many questions about how all of the releases from this month play into like um, the, the release of Werewolf by Night in color um, it just, you, you said just before that like marketing is the real failure here. And that has consistently been something that we've felt, uh, across lines, across different media. Um, it just feels like, especially with the comics and their relationship to anything else, the feeling is just like, I don't know, we'll just publish them and like send out some tweets and then announce some stuff at cons. It's about the media cycle, not so much about the product sometimes. And yeah. I think that even becomes really clear when you see the follow this character in this thing next. And there's absolutely no connection between the two things, which is where I feel like one of my most confusing parts of Werewolf by Night was as soon as I cracked it open, I did not exactly recognize um, anything. First of all, there are three different depictions of Werewolf by Night on this on this set of covers 
and none of them are consistent. I left one as a dog person. Uh, middle person is like a like a, a an ape man, wolf man. The third one is a little bit more traditional werewolf. The fourth uh, one is like a lupine wolf. Like these do not represent the same character, and yet I feel like. On three of them, I do recognize that they are supposed to be the understanding of Elsa Bloodstone. Who's non-titular. So, like, well, I think if there's one thing we can all agree, it's that Elsa Bloodstone is rather titular. But yeah. in this case, she is non-titular. So I'm wondering why, with the exception of the sketch variant, which is very clearly a sketch variant... She is the predominant figure in a book called Werewolf by Night. I feel like the idea is to evoke the movie. But well, they did that with no other product. That's where right. I'm like, ah. exactly. Um, you know, I, I, I can't speak to what the idea would have been, but. Uh, I wonder if they had thought about calling it Werewolf by Night and Elsa Bloodstone uh, or if there were any other title pitches. But, like, this really is a, a team-up book, and it's a really fun team-up book. Uh, but, yeah, it's just called Werewolf by Night, and it really, in two of these covers, for sure, it is super focused on Elsa. Like, that is the character. Uh, that middle one where it's the two of them back-to-back that's really, you know, that's a buddy title. But then again, like, that's still 50% Elsa's person and 0% her name in the book anywhere. And we still see, like, the sort of detail work of, like, putting in the cracking on the cover to give it that, uh, yeah. that you know, visual Asian text feel. Yeah. But what winds up happening for me is when I look at this cover gallery, I, it just actually does not feel like they're the same volume. Because... Yeah. Everybody inside looks so different. Um, I also just want to comment that this started something that uh, cracked me up. So uh, super fan Jonah uh, of Elsa Bloodstone, constant series contributor, was like, since when can Elsa just do energy blasts out of her hand? All of a sudden, uh, she officially gained a, the family Bloodstone in Secret Wars Marvel Zombies number four. So she's had like the I have the magic Bloodstone, Bloodstone, Bloodstone. For like six years, seven years, um, I feel like while in some images they still have it in her choker position, there are a lot of internal pages where the choker is gone. Wow, there is like a nonstop party happening in the chat. Oh, We've got Robbie, Allie, Kevo. We got Tasty Cake. We This is just like a, a who the fuck's who of uh, X's for show. Everybody, yeah, everybody X's for showed up. Um <laughs> But when uh, I see that they've kind of removed the bloodstone necklace a lot, I just want to say, I think it's because maybe we don't need another woman in a choker. Um, I love chokers, especially on Ben McKenzie in season one of the OC. But I think with a woman, having a woman wearing a large collar with what looks like a lock in the front that is tied to her familial heritage... I feel like it makes it look like she's locked up by her dad's chastity collar. And yeah, I see that. I feel like the decision to remove what is a sexualizing item put on her by let's just own it kind of a pervert is um, reflective 
of the <laughs> choker. I hardly know her, says Tasty Cake. Um, ah. And I think that's the problem. People hardly know Elsa Bloodstone yet, but they're all so happy to put her in too tight a choker necklace uh, when she could just as easily be a blasting superhero like her dad. I don't know that I think it's a necessary change to give her like the energy blast, uh, but I will say it is nice to have the opportunity to think about the fact that the choker is kind of a sexual item I don't think she needs. And I loved how uh, in the movie people just kind of held on to it and shot energy at people with it. I That clearly is enough. Um, I Given the kind of master tactician fighter role that she plays, I would think it would go in some other form. Uh, and I think that would be very true to her and very cool. Um I guess we'll just have to see if anybody invests in developing the character and her concept and visuals in that way. You know, I think the big thing is that this really did like, oh, did you enjoy A Werewolf by Night, the, the TV special? Then you should check out this comic because it's going to give you a complete wrong understanding of the Marvel Universe. Uh. This was uh, a master bait and switch, if you ask me. Um, because it appeals to anybody who wants to enjoy the Marvel Universe. You see Elsa on the cover. It's usually a good time. Elsa rarely sucks. The books she's in usually sucks, but Elsa rarely sucks. All right, she's a good time. Werewolf by Night. Oh, it's Manwolf, right? That's J, uh, J. Jonah Jameson's son. No? Oh, okay. It's Werewolf by Night. Oh, okay. It's that guy from the New Mutants. I thought that was a girl. It's not. Oh, werewolf by night oh it's the guy from the movie all right i'm coming for elsa and that is the average experience of somebody picking this book up inside was a, a fun time i would love to get with the you know with the i want to call them the peanut gallery but i need you guys to understand peanut butter is my favorite food so when i say peanut gallery i mean like the protein of life um thought about that um <clears throat> I would love to know what the audience uh, thought of this Werewolf by Night special when they get a chance to read it, if they have, if they haven't. Uh, I just really thought it was so light on plot, but it actually, of this list, is my favorite. And I can say why. It was stupid. It was inconsequential. But thank God it was stupid and inconsequential because it was stupid and inconsequential. And that was exactly what it needed to be. Really just a great way to get people to buy the, the comic, uh, to watch the movie. It was a cheap, good time, like me. Uh, I definitely agree with that. It was uh, very much inconsequential, but I maybe was a little bit disappointed in that. I don't know. I guess I'm disappointed that uh, I feel like that is how that is the best case scenario for Werewolf by Night right now. What I would really like to see is a book. Uh, uh, I guess I would have to say a mini because they're never giving anything ongoings anymore, but I'd like to see a longer form book. I'd like to see Elsa get a longer form book. Um, I don't subscribe to the idea that a lot of these things need to be in October only. Um, Easter is terrifying. It, precisely. Zombies everywhere. Uh, Jesus is a lick. So I just... This felt like a. it could have just as easily been a great single issue of a multi-issue run. Yeah. Uh, and just not by Derek Landy. Yeah, probably not. Uh, although I thought he did very well for himself here, telling a really simple story. Uh, I 
Marvel's really into this idea that everybody's got to be the king of whatever their thing is or like the apex person of their thing. Uh, so him as king of all wolves, that was a little exhausting. Um, I mean, because obviously, who could ever forget Romulus and Remus, king of dog and cat people? Get it together. So, uh, setting some of that stuff aside, for I, I do have to say, I loved the art. The art in this was fantastic. The mix of uh, black and white and color, uh, the relatively sparing use of color that really focused on and highlighted Elsa. Um, I only wish I just werewolf by night didn't look like uh, Bendis's Hank. Yes, I did notice that from time to time, uh, and I sort of wondered what, where that came from, especially since we have so many different options apparently for what he can look like uh, just from these covers alone. Um, but you know, yeah, it was it was really fun, and it it really kind of followed almost the exact model of the the movie where it's just like this kind of one-off adventure where these two encounter each other they basically team up uh and then at the end everything turns to color um which was cute like it was fine it was fun i guess i just uh you know it bummed me out that when the movie re-released in color they didn't say like and be sure to pick up werewolf by night on shelves now um because they'd have to go back in and kill that That's not hard. It, well, it, it is. They will not do that. They will not go back in and update something. They will leave the credit bumpers on things. They will leave crackle burn on the side of credits. Mm -mm. They're not going in and doing the work to clean that up. Well, mm -mm. you know, then then there's never going to be any chance to cross market this stuff. And that's a bummer. It is a bummer. But that is what we've definitely seen. Because if they were going to cross market, they would have cross marketed at Avengers Endgame. At Avengers Infinity War. At Spider-Man No Way Home. They would have done it with something that broke barriers and records, not Werewolf by Night, which, while critically acclaimed, um, really, it did not. Uh, it was not the Russos getting to call Martin Scorsese an asshole hack, which uh, I definitely enjoyed this week. So, um, did that really happen? Yeah, Joe Russo is not having it with uh, Scorsese right now. Make a racist uh, movie. Anyway, now, you know, speaking of uh, some significant uh, products that Marvel is trying to push this year featuring Werewolf by Night, uh, Crypt of Shadows, here's the thing about Crypt of Shadows. And I, I could keep doing um, I could keep doing auto tune about this all day. This sucked, and I can say why this sucked for me. It's because this was a really long trailer, and even then, some of them were just teaser trailers, and like they just showed like the image of horror is coming, and panned across it, and then they were like, "Did you want to buy the book? Here's where you can look." And like, this is not an advertisement for a cro no. Okay, then Robbie, 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 a comic fan, Robbie, not someone who lives on the moon, Robbie, Robbie, a comic book fan, Robbie, is just hearing about Crypt of Shadows for the first time. And if I may, that's indicative of the terrible marketing job that TK and I are constantly talking about over here. Hey, Marvel marketing, it's not we think that you guys are doing a bad job. It's that we don't think you're getting enough money from the uh from the parent company. So uh, you know. It's not you guys. We're on Team Marvel Marketing. It's just the marketing doesn't work. 
Um, but oh god. Okay, I want to start with I do not fucking understand Scarlet Witch getting three fucking covers of this when her story. Steve Orlando. I want to talk about Steve Orlando for a minute. What a talented guy. What a guy who understands character and narrative, nuance, guy who really knows how to build a story. I can only imagine the methamphetamines it must take to achieve this level of output. The number of books that this man is putting out at Marvel every friggin' week sometimes. No wonder the stories are starting to seem a little bit like there is a Steve Orlando AI churning out some of these stories. Because I am telling you, this Scarlet Witch story in Crypt of Shadows did not feel in a good way like eight pages of an issue of Scarlet Witch. It felt like somebody just took eight pages out of an issue of Scarlet Witch and asked me to be happy with it. Um, I, I think back to that uh, early Family Guy flash of Stephen King after he's lost his mojo and he's sitting there pitching to his uh, editor and he's like, what about uh, a lamp monster? Uh, <laughs> and... <laughs> Exactly. Give it to me uh, by Friday. Yes. Um, and this just felt a little bit like, uh, I don't know, ha she fights a haunted hostel? Yes. There it is. Haunted hostel. We're good. I keep um, forgetting that it's the bricklayer and not like the bird cager. Yeah. Um, you, you know. Oh, Williams it, and Nathan Lane. <laughs> it was uh, a fine story. This guy is a plausible villain um i don't really care if the bricklayer will return and i know we're getting more scarlet witch and it wasn't really scary so it, i don't know what we're doing here and it was not three covers scary no and she was not the main character three covers no and the bricklayer did not need his own cover that's the bricklayer behind her in the, that middle cover. And then if you look over at the third cover, that thing in the lower left is still Werewolf by Night. Yeah, there's there, we got a fourth one now. I There is just a level to which I'm having trouble maybe keeping up with some of the design here, right? Yeah. I love Scarlet Witch, and I actually really love Scarlet Witch by Steve Orlando. I'm so excited about the announcement that Steve Orlando is going to add uh, Quicksilver to his title because his Quicksilver is one of the best things about that title and it's an already great book. This really felt to me like having Niles and Daphne appear on wings happened to look it up. This really felt to me like having the cast of step by step and family matters have a crossover where for some reason they reuse the Urkel dance over on uh step by step. Robbie, you thought it was a damn doom bot. That should tell you something. As we have established, Robbie does not live on the moon. Robbie is a normal human comic reader. So if he thinks this is a doom bot. I'm obsessed with the idea of a doom bot that grows a beard. Can I mention a TGIF crossover that's even a little bit weirder? Which is when Dana shows up on Boy Meets World in the episode that finally spurs Cory and Topanga to fully finally get together in Disney World. But she's not named, and she almost seems like a ghostly apparition giving Cory advice. 
it's that removed and random that she could almost be playing a different character, but you kind of have to feel like she's not because it's the same channel on the same night. There are things that can be that far removed and it's just, well, but it's Marvel and you know these characters, so you know that there's significance, right? Well, and that's even, I think, where exactly what you're saying, Kevo, that level of... That we had Deadpool versus the Living Mummy in that second story, struggle bins. I the Living Mummy is a thing, I guess. I mean, but like also like the Dead Mummy. Oh, he's threatening. So like, but the Living Mummy versus Deadpool, and then we see the Living Mummy on the third cover. We see Deadpool on the first cover. One of the things that happens with like a, a spooky kind of anthology is nothing really gets the time to develop a, a story or a personality or a point of view. And uh, Deadpool being in this, you know, when they're like, take my money. I want a version of that where I look really angry and it's like, you took my money. And like, I that's how I felt about Deadpool getting the center square over here although paul lynn's deadpool would be the greatest thing we've ever heard can you believe i can regrow everything <laughs> ryan reynolds would support it oh he would be so into it ryan mm -hmm. reynolds for paul lind in the paul lind biopic okay i'm in yeah i don't know i don't have really a ton to say about the deadpool one it was uh, i mean i in a lot of ways i think Alyssa Wong's Deadpool at least has like really good body horror you know it's not meant to be a super scary book most of the time but is actually like for Marvel which is not putting out a lot of horror I would put Alyssa Wong's Deadpool in the horror basket if they asked me to uh, and I think it's really pretty plausible as you know a body horror and gore book uh, and in that way it functions really well so I just feel like moving over to Deadpool fights an obscure uh, Marvel's version of a universal monster. Uh, okay, I guess. I don't know. What do you want me to do with that? And like the takeaway isn't Deadpool will do more horror in 2024. It is our weird off-brand The Mummy will be back at some point question mark probably not because there won't be any interest in this what this book really feels like to me is we will see who tweets the most about which story and that's the one where something will happen uh and if i were going to tweet about any of them it would be this next one that we're about to talk about uh but i just for the life of me i don't whatever uh random number generator pitched deadpool plus living mummy i just i don't think it did anybody any favors i was bummed that Alyssa wong's name was not on it actually i thought that might be the one thing that could have made this kind of cool and interesting uh which i really feel bad saying that and kind of crapping on the other author but i just don't think that uh, and i want to at least make sure i give the name right uh kevin scott i don't want to kind of minimize his work but i just don't think this did anything 
and you know i i'm waiting for the day where marvel's like hey man we love kid riot that book about that superhero killer book we love some of your other fiction work uh your work in the glad award-winning young men in love is also spectacular so we can't wait to give you work dude um and we have exactly the book for you and i'll be like yes and they're gonna be like dude you're so not even ready for this gonna be like yes and they're gonna be like it's morbius versus gray hulk no i mean yes marvel thank you so much i'm gonna make the best story you've ever read you got to imagine that was the living mummy versus deadpool yeah um However, sometimes, okay, now, mm, this next story, mm, 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 this next story, how do I even, mm, 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 okay, <sighs> so Daredevil is the man without fear, and Man-Thing is the man that burns fear, the Man-Thing that burns fear, it sort of feels like somebody forgot to pair these two up earlier, I'm sure they've met, you know, everybody did that bedside vigil for Marvel, you know, whatever, so, They've definitely, like, exchanged challenge coins or something. But when I think about Man-Thing and Daredevil, well, I just want to point out that that's two characters that sort of move by feeling and not by vision, number one. And that was not pushed enough in this story that they both feel by sense, you know what I mean? But, um... It kind of just doesn't go beyond two pages. It's eight pages, but the idea doesn't really go beyond two pages. And I would say for that reason, this is the most economical use of page space. If this had been two pages, I would have been just as happy. If this had been 12 pages, I probably would have been just as happy. The thing that this story provided me was a reason for anything. You know, Scarlet Witch just kind of through the Marvel Universe right now, just kind of through doorways. It's all she does anymore. And so why Scarlet Witch here? Why Deadpool here? Eh. The Daredevil and Man-Thing, it really is almost like, you know, Man-Thing, Ted, right? Teddy. Teddy! Where's Teddy at? Right? Um so, you know, that's, of course, uh, a reference to James Brown on CNN, the greatest interview of all time. It is a man's world. We forget. And every now and then you come along to remind us. And uh, the big thing here with this is Ted having that moment with Matt is actually something powerful. When you think about who Matt Murdock is, he's a lawyer. Part of his job is to help establish justice. What is man thing's purpose? to pass judgment on those who know fear. There is a beauty to the way that Matt can be the advocate lawyer for a creature in a court of man thing that the Marvel universe desperately needs to explore on a, a really grand scale. If for no other reason, the future of comics depends on the ideas that have always supported comics continuing to evolve. Alan Moore talking about how comics are literally just a, like a dead you know, a uh, police system and Grant Morrison firing back with, you know, equal power chaos magic saying they're actually all just romance stories. Okay. Well then that's two of the greatest voices in the history of the industry saying all of these stories boil down to these two things. It's time to boil them down to some new things. And I think some ideas like this 
while meant to be small and insignificant, have so much power over our imagination and force us to confront ideas like what is being a lawyer and what is passing judgment. Interesting perspective. Um, I, for me, I will say that some of the joy for this one, sometimes a great pitch really can get you far. You know, unfortunately, Deadpool meets the living mummy is just not a great pitch. I just am not excited about that concept. A great writer could kill that series. What about Deadpool meets Bill Mummy? Get out of my house. Um, Daredevil fights alongside Man-Thing. That's a pitch that I'm kind of into because right off the bat, they just have the kind of sensitive souls with very, very tough exteriors, um, very, very prone to righteous violence that immediately I'm just like, okay, I really like this. And the artwork for me really sells it beautifully. Um, I don't know that, as you said, it is really just kind of two issues or uh, two pages. Uh, I don't know that we get really a ton of story out of this. But yeah, we do get this really promising concept of uh, the man that burns through fear and the man that knows no fear and how the two of them can interact, both being like very tortured souls that are trying to do good, but seem to only be able to do it through kind of wanton destruction. Um, and, you know, just ending with them kind of arm in arm limping out together it was sweet to me it was fun uh this is kind of the least horror one this is just uh you know daredevil versus the hand with a cameo from uh man thing now on is, disney plus right exactly which is real cool uh i i do hope that this is an episode of born again uh but I, what am I supposed to do with this for your like flagship horror book for the month? I don't know. We're, and they even kind of, you know, we're going to get to the, uh, check out the future of these cat where I get real bitchy. Yeah. But, sure. um, <clears throat> they just sort of leave out daredevil from the check out the future of these characters because yeah. good luck. Yeah. Where does this go? Good luck. Yeah, he's a priest here. Don't worry about it. Um, all right. Whew. Okay. This next one. Hulk and Werewolf by Night. And they kind of act like it's not of the Hulk story. Um, yeah, Werewolf by Night and the Hulk. And I, I literally in my notes put, I don't get why the what the fuck, why is it Craven? I do not understand. Um, this was a tough read for me because I, I am someone who has a hard time with, you know, I'm going to pick that up in one second. I'm a hard, someone who has a hard time with, uh, the Hulk, but you know, Robbie to jump on somebody in the Marvel office, just wanted their version of tales of the crypt, you know, really, really, uh, crypt of shadows, house of mystery, house of secrets, uh, a lot of these uh, sort of anthology titles existed at Marvel and DC in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Uh, chilling suspense, uh, 
Chilling Scares. There were a lot of these sorts of titles. And, uh, you know, horror comics really used to help pay the bills before superhero comics stopped being a genre and became a medium. And so, you know, it really did once upon a time used to be that this was its own era at Marvel. Like, you know, the Dracula, Blade, Tomb of, of Secrets and Shadows, all of that stuff in the 70s. Like, you can go grab Omnibuy of thousands of pages of that stuff. And uh, Marvel tries to bring it back all the time with things like uh, Nick Fury's Howling Commandos, where it's actually a werewolf of Nick Fury leading a team of monsters. Wait, you're talking uh, Cap Wolf and the Howling Commandos. No, I'm talking about 2006's Sergeant Nick Fury's Howling Commandos. Oh, gosh. A 2006 attempt at the same thing. Wow. It's actually even previewed in the back of an issue of Ghost Rider. I just reread um, from the uh, the unreadably bad Garth Ennis run. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I'm a guy who likes Garth Ennis and a guy who likes Ghost Rider. So the fact that I can't get through, oh my God, that's 12 rough issues. Oh my God. But um, yeah, this is not the first time Marvel has been like, oh yeah, um, monster versions of their heroes. Go do it. So. Yikes. Um, but Hulk and uh, Man-Wolf. Uh, man thing thing wolf thing man thing man right uh hulk and thing man just didn't do it for me um my biggest takeaway from this was after all this time why is he not craving the monster hunter huh uh because like torturing big game just seems exceptionally shitty <laughs> uh especially and... now Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and um, as as the movie proved, there's a really blurred line between hunting monsters for good and hunting monsters for evil. Uh, and I, at first, was like, yeah, Craven the Hunter. Um, but there's just no cohesion. Um the last time I think I saw Craven, he was hunting uh, Matt Murdock uh, and Elektra. You're muted. Um, or X-Force or something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That came after. Um, so, like, he's just a, a dude who likes to kill animals. And if there's enough money involved, that animal could be Homo sapiens. Uh, which is... That's just a killer. Okay, there's another villain who, who wears leopard print. Um, but, you know, you bring it to the monster zone. And I like Hulk as, like, a monster, but also not, like, kind of a Frankenstein, kind of not. And I know Frankenstein's a doctor. Don't start with me. Um, I feel but, like we can just be, like, all of them are Frankensteins. Yeah, exactly. Proud Jewish family. Um <laughs> And their adopted son. <laughs> so, like, I don't, I don't, Hulk is the one big superhero name here who, to me, could make a lot of sense if anybody cared to kind of get into what we're doing here and why Crypt of Shadows is the book and what that means and what a monster is and what this seasonal type of publishing is. Otherwise, it's just Hulk and werewolf by night and that's fine uh lovely little heart to heart where he's like don't you want to change back into bruce and hulk is like nope i like myself like this 
and Jack Russell has to wonder if maybe he should like himself like the wolf, but who knows? Because probably nothing's really going to come of it. So, well, I mean, they say they're going to show up in uh-huh. Hulk. Like, they it, do say that it's going to happen. Um, you know, and really pointing out that if Craven is just another bad guy in leopard print, he's basically between the open shirt, the leopard print, and the hair, just sort of like a trend out Joe Exotic, and that's uh- not really threatening. So, you know, we need to push Craven the Hunter somewhere that's not uh what million little pieces boy. Like that's not that's not the future of Craven as a character in the Marvel universe and if nothing else, putting Jared Leto on Morbius was maybe a sign that you can't just big name your way through some of these projects. I'm really curious to see what they're going to try and do with this sort of reimagining of so many of these Marvel monster characters as available to the writers. Uh, Because the other side of this is my favorite, least favorite part of this, which is the Victor Strange stuff. Mm. Um, I've been following this Victor Strange reimagining for about two years in the pages of Marvel Unlimited, where this all started as like bizarre tales and bizarre adventures about two years ago by Jed McKay. And then as he continued on in his Doctor Strange run, we would see the Victor Unlimited stories build more and more. Now Victor has appeared over in the pages of Crypt of Shadows, and he's threatening to appear in the pages of Doctor Strange when you least expect it, which all of it gets a little Vincent Price mustache twirling at times. That's the good part. The bad part is now, please don't expect me to take this guy seriously as a world ending villain outside of something really campy. Like it should be that he has found a way to turn everything into 2d art and destroy the world by erasing it or something. Because like what you have created for me is such a fucking gay coded villain. He needs to either be silly where we can kind of laugh about it. Or I'm worried that this is going to go into some icky areas. I completely agree. I would say silly and maybe even like he's never a a threat as a villain. He's just an annoyance. Uh, Gargamel, if you will. Yeah. You know, he shows up and wants a job, you know, starts teaching kids at Strange Academy, having not been at all vetted and just gives them terrible life advice something other than like now he's gonna fight his brother to the death which it does really feel um that last panel where he finally comes out of the mirror and is like ah ha, ha. that does feel a little bit more like take this seriously than it does what a fucking loser <laughs> and i need him to be a loser yeah he's he's just so foppish yeah, you know, the, he's got a stupid haircut. Uh, he is, he needs to button his shirt up a little more. Um, and he's got to stop all of the bad 70s dialogue. Yeah, you exactly. You think you should know what the darkness is, but the darkness climbs up the t- Shut up. Oh my God. You sound like a Dark Shadows narration. That's not threatening. It's just exhausting. And like, That is part of what we run into with a lot of this. You know, so much of this gets into some really stupid, grimdark places. And I'm going to save it for when we cover it. But I recently read an issue of Ghost Rider 
where uh, a character is confronting their father, who the father thought the child who he had betrayed, that the father is evil. And the father betrays the child and says, but how? I saw the body. And the son, who is not dead, says, that body was just the meat bag I grew from your rancid seed. Whew. That Happy line Father's of, Day. Yeah, that line of dialogue is just so horrendous. And like uh we wind up in a lot of I shall show you damnations burning. Like uh, it's so terrible when you go to like grim dark to scream darkness. Like I I even really am like a fan of metal, but like sometimes when I read like, you know, lyrics from like, you know, angry angry like and my dad was so mean to me, he made me so mad. I just want to scream and break everything he has. I'm like, oh my God, there needs to be some art or we're just kind of screaming. And part of what this run of Marvel Spooky did for me was it balanced the two. I don't think we saw too much. I'm going to turn you inside out and rend your bones. I think we saw a good balance of the silly. But the thing that I feel replaced the uh, grimdark is... Uh, commercial i feel like this by removing the grimdark instead of replacing it with more spooky and atmosphere because the truth is spooky and atmosphere is very costly spooky and atmosphere take pages and when you're not putting it on unlimited um do, oh no 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 there's a there's it's there it's there it's just light it's light it's totally uh, there Polar Knights is asking if Nico shaved. I think you trimmed today, probably. So you're nice. looking a little... You can see it. Especially, yeah, you got it at the chin. Yeah. Don't worry. The beard, yeah, you can hear it. And I believe you said when you came home from camping, you shaved your whole head. Yeah, I, I was in the woods for the for like five days. And uh, when I came out of the woods, it was uh, it was time to, to de-bear a little bit. But... Uh, you know, the bear I, I, always returns. Uh, the bear always wins. But, you know, for me, I, you know, it's funny because we talk about the commercialization of Christmas or whatever. But, like, Christmas is a holiday, not a holy day in terms of a media cultural celebration. The holy day belongs within holy spaces, but public spaces are not holy spaces. They're public spaces. So the idea of the commercialization of Christmas is sort of inherent to the idea of the celebration of Christmas. But part yeah. of what makes Halloween so unique is that Halloween has never been all Hallows Eve for my generation and up. So for 40 years, I don't think too many people have taken as American cultural pastime the space to take the, you know October 31st and celebrate those we've lost. You know, I think we think of Halloween as candy, Rugrats specials, and, uh, you know, so much of the sort of, yeah, no, Halloween was always commercial. So the fact that we found a way to make it more commercial is really hard to talk about. <laughs> it's like hard to put your finger on, right? TK, how do you feel about what runs like a bunch of, uh, bunch of trailers for other titles? Uh, I don't feel great about it, but... I want to. I really, I love an anthology title. I wish this was not a one shot every October. I just in general wish that the horror side of Marvel was not relegated to cameos 
and holiday seasons with like maybe if you're lucky one or two minis and then like a character like Ghost Rider having the only ongoing that is horror related. I I think this is a fertile genre that amazing writers are doing good work in uh and i think it's really possible to write great horror minis at marvel that come out in july uh you just have to find the right writers for those for those stories and i like all of the writers that were in this book i just don't know that i love them for horror titles in the same way that I love Ben Percy writing Ghost Rider. I just don't love Ben Percy's X-Force and that's okay. Uh, but it does really just kind of put us in this space of like, we can't ever succeed if you don't give us the tools to succeed. And that just feels like that's what's happening with a lot of the horror at Marvel. And, you know, just to, we're going to move to a title that's still in the Halloween spirit, but it's just not horror. Right. And I actually think in a lot of ways, you know, uh, Polar Nights is comment of I love Xmas because it's the only part of the year I can use red velvet and don't get those funny looks. Um, you know, actually, what's really funny is Marvel Holiday has so much overlap between Christmas and horror because the horror stories kind of end mid November and the Christmas stories start mid November. You usually get some sort of Santa's a demon story once a year. Or um, Ghost Rider fights the Krampus one year, uh, and it's co-written by uh, Method Man. So that's always really interesting. That definitely happened. Um, but, you know, when you're talking about the holidays at Marvel, something that winds up happening is it really is sort of this overlap connectivity. And I think it's that same overlap connectivity that Marvel was really hoping to achieve with uh, Hollow's Eve. You know, one of the things about Hollow's Eve that I, I opened the episode with is that I felt in many ways like Hollow's Eve was not reflective of who Elizabeth Tyne actually is. My opinion, and you know, I'm I, I'm a big Elizabeth Tyne fan from MC2. Um, I love Zeb Wells as a creator who understands how to take characters that exist and do something with them, but I can't find one ounce of Elizabeth Tyne in this. I cannot find that character from those previous series she does not remind me of the character from mc2 it was almost like he had this idea for this amazing character of hollow's eve and said well she's like a new mask on the character anyway so i can use anyone and sort of imprint this on them it's necessary that she's a character that has that beautiful backstory with ben riley but my biggest complaint about all of Hollow's Eve oeuvre is she is, in some ways, so OP. This is boring at times. Um, and uh, the other side of it is that she really doesn't feel like she has ties to the existing Marvel Universe. She could be as new as a character created this run. I also see a question, uh, life-changing, if you can ask it. We'll do our best to answer it, Polar Knights. But uh, while Polar Knights types that out, Teak, how do you feel about the reimagining of Elizabeth Tyne, this wacky power set? Oh, how come? I God only knows. <laughs> okay, yes. Polar Knights' I, question is, uh, polar, how, 
TK always looks so well groomed? I thank you. He's handsome boy. I put in effort three times a week, and it is when I come on to do this show. And we love it and appreciate it. But thank you. I did trim my beard a little bit. Um, I I kind of disagree with you. Uh, so for one thing, I do have to point out we don't really get Elizabeth Tyne in MC two. Uh, we get one or two like literally panels. I think just in Dark Devil, she looms large because she is the mother of a huge character, and because she in that universe got the life she didn't really get here where she kind of did go off with Ben in some capacity and try and start a family, although it clearly didn't go that well. Uh, but I, on the one hand, like you are right. This is, this could be anybody. This, this really doesn't need to be Elizabeth Tyne, uh, or Janine Godby, you know, the, and also the fact that she has two names, guys, come on, cut that shit out. Uh, make her Elizabeth Tyne again. I don't know why this Janine Godby thing has stuck, but I don't care for it one bit. And it's that thing of where they're always trying to like bring up an old character. And it just, it, you know, you got to yeah. find new ways to sneak them in. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this doesn't, Hollow's Eve does not need to be uh, Elizabeth Tyne, except for the fact that uh, Elizabeth Tyne is Ben Riley's OTP, basically. It really. Um, even though it got established in the lost years, um, their relationship, I think, stuck in a lot of people's heads. And I thought it worked when she got brought back during the Beyond storyline. That was all fine. Uh, I think, you know, if this is the the girl that is for Ben Riley, that's all great. But then we get into this idea of Hallow's Eve. Now, there are two questions. Did Elizabeth Tyne need some powers so she could back up Ben Riley in Dark Web and then go on to do some stuff? And question two, did those powers need to be a Halloween-themed mask lady? I do think Elizabeth Tyne needed powers. I I think the two of them being semi-criminal, uh, not really up on their mental health, on the run, trying to fix their lives. I love all of that. I think that is great. I think a Halloween-themed uh, mask villain created by Madeline Pryor is very weird. I did not get it when it came up in Dark Web. Um, I... Uh, it's I also, so... Go. About that, did you get that from Dark Web when they just pull the mask out of her she can now make an unlimited number of masks which when she makes it it has all of the powers of whoever she makes the mask of she can summon them at will she can just and then use them interchangeably unlimitedly and go toe-to-toe with armies of people which i am okay with here in this six set of books in this year of hallows eve getting her start i could be okay with that because then if everybody falls in love with her and she gets to develop as a character you do the story where of course you can't do that that's insane uh and you know it starts to take a toll on her physically that she has created this number of masks and has so consistently tried to use the beyonder mask or the thanos mask 
um you can't do that there's there's a limit and then you know you you balance out the powers and she 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 can't do that i think there is a lot of potential for storytelling so i can be okay with this six but for back to your original question no i absolutely did not get that uh and i think i'm i'm okay with the idea again i just think it is actually really worth exploring um she kind of strikes me more as like this would have just been a great limbo witch like just a great student of madeline Pryor, yeah. which i think she can become uh but has this five issues and then annual and a one shot has this all just been an exercise in futility like kind of because nobody wanted this or asked for it or was into it except kind of like you and me i guess really me because uh i i i'm totally here for her but like i already i'm like okay so how can we fix this so that she can be a sustainable character do we like change her name to just like hallow uh and you know she goes to maddie and learns limbo magic and like learns what the source of her power is i think there's so many cool directions to go in for this character but this uh this is not a sustainable model for 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 a good anti-hero it also doesn't lend itself to editorial practices now right. <clears throat> i don't think that we should be in a habit of saying different you know different edit offices can't cross over different edit yeah. offices but that's the truth she's a spider-man character who is a spider-man secondary character secondary character with less than 30 appearances across 30 plus years so now we're saying this character with 30 appearances altogether needs to be further developed. She then needs to somehow manage to continue existing simultaneously in the X-Men universe from where she gets all of her limbo powers. We saw Maddie repeatedly. We know that's where um, Ben is being held. So it's still a Maddie universe. And then she's got to be spider related. If you had told me she had spider magic powers and it was like a web of mask. Sure. Um, if she could catch heroes in her web and that's how she could make masks of them. Something to make this spidery because the problem is I don't see Marvel having the wherewithal to follow up on this in three years with her still being Limboian. I think what we're likely to see is she's lost all the masks. She has no powers and they'd give her new powers instead yeah. sooner than yeah. I think we're going to keep seeing these masks run another five years. Yeah, I think you're right, uh, and that is that is the crux of the problem. Because I and they, uh, go going wider with it, I think Limbo should be for more people. Sure, I think Limbo as just an X Men thing is. Uh, I I think the X Men have too much to worry about and deal with now, and I don't think we're going to get a lot of great Limbo stories. And by the way, talking about horror, Limbo is like a whole other set of horror stories to be told. Um, Madeline has been Riley in prison and so there there is a strong argument to be made for the adjacency of limbo to other properties but you're right it's probably really realistically not going to happen like it's not that we're saying like oh this isn't allowed they could totally do this they're just really probably not going to um but it's unfortunate because 
I we've seen a few things here and there that show that limbo can be really interesting when it interacts with other stuff. I'm thinking about um Mighty Thor, the Torn Grunbuck, uh yeah. um where Sim was a big part of it. Um and uh was it Mighty Thor and Jane Foster? Yeah. Uh yeah. Um, so like limbo is just a dimension. It absolutely doesn't just have to be for the mutants, but Marvel really does kind of pigeonhole some of its stuff and it becomes the purview of certain editorial offices and then it can't go anywhere. And then exactly what you described just happened because her origins are from limbo and we can't pull Madeline Pryor in, you know, a year from now when somebody wants to use her for whatever reason. Well, now that means that however we deal with Hallow's Eve, it has to be basically unrelated to limbo. And so, yeah, so now we're looking at probably giving her a new set of powers. Well, then what was this whole thing for? Because this whole thing wasn't bad. It was... Uh, this series was great. Erica Schultz killed it. Yeah, I think it was a fantastic miniseries. I... It's just so tough when her name is Hallow's Eve and one book came out around October. Um, yeah. I don't know what... There's a pumpkin in every O. What do you want me to do with this? Uh, I... You could, name be, her, you could change your name to Eve. That's what I was saying. Yeah. Poor Eve. Poor um, Eve. I and it's it also speaks to what I was saying earlier about like horror is so unsupported at Marvel. I mean, this is kind of a horror book, or it could go there, but uh, that is so there. I don't even imagine there's a horror editorial office. Uh, so it just kind of sat in limbo, not the good limbo, in the middle of summer, uh, being a book about a Halloween themed character, and. For as much as I really liked all six of these books, I just don't know what to do with them. And I don't know how to support this character to see her get interesting stories. And I think part of the mistake is Marvel doesn't understand exactly how to navigate the new era of comics just yet. Yeah. I'm really proud of DC for giving me a really exciting horror book next year that we're going to get a female Green Lantern uh, magical girl horror series is like the dream. Um, and I just wish that they could do something like that for Marvel. And what happens with Hollow's Eve, and it even kind of is um, maybe showcased to me in these covers, all five of these covers look fucking identical with the exception of one, three, and five. She's in a power pose. And in two and four, she is in danger. And so I get like a, a good trajectory. They want you to have a visual likeness in the style of the cover, but then each cover kind of paints a picture. It's the establishing, then there's the werewolf she is the cause of, then it's Spider-Man, then the masks are out to get her, and then she triumphs. Great. You're telling a story with these images so that somebody who's just casually browsing these can get that story. But now we're talking about how much cover theory has to go into talking about the story. So then when we find ourselves moving over to the next set of books and we're looking at this annual, which is called the Amazing Spider-Man annual, but it's not written by Zeb Wells. It's written by Erica Schultz, again, continuing her story of Hollow's Eve. I actually wish this was called Amazing Spider-Man Hollow's Eve Annual. And they did the two-part annual name again because, uh, you know, the Amazing Spider-Man Annual with her on the cover and uh, she it just looks evil. This doesn't look like the next part of Hollow's Eve's story. This just looks like, a oh, 
Zeb Wells wrote an annual where she's the villain again out of nowhere. And then you get to this one shot and it's like, you cannot convince me that this annual comes between five and the one shot with the exception of those bridging pages at the end of five that lead into the annual, because this feels more like the sixth issue of the mini series than the annual feels like it has to do with any of it. Yeah, I, I don't, it's, it was really odd to me that it was the Spider-Man annual. That's all I can really come, come to for it because that's, you only get one annual a year and I don't know what this does for the bigger story in Amazing Spider-Man. And I don't know that this does a ton for the story in, uh, for Hollow's Eve, either. It really, really uh, makes me think that the overall idea is like have Hollow's Eve running in the background, have her appear in Spider Man. But if you're asking me what Amazing Spider Man Annual was more about, was it was just about maintaining the status quo set forth in uh, the limbo stories. This was more about reminding us that Maddie's a bitch than it was about really furthering anything for Hollow's Eve or Spider-Man. And I gotta be honest, I thought this story ended in the weirdest way. Like, it ended with me thinking, more's coming, right? And then that backup story? <laughs> what? Yeah, that backup story was uh, fucking raucous. <laughs> And it's okay. First of all, once again, MC2 people, uh, Aunt Anna, all of a sudden becoming evil, uh, possessed, and having to be locked up in Ravenscroft. Well, because she got bad Krakoan drugs, but that's so weird because that is not what's happening to anybody else. Exactly. It's, it's just, uh, which I, I really, I, I, we then go back to this question of editorial offices and who's in charge of what. I really do wonder who's talking to who here because we get this version of Maddie that I feel like the version of Maddie that we're seeing in Dark X-Men right now even is kinder than this. Uh and given that she is responsible for creating Hallow's Eve, uh, for housing Ben Riley, and you know is still kind of having to uh, make it up to Peter that she was partially responsible for the dark web storyline, I just feel like she came off as uh, really kind of cavalier here. Of course, this is entirely one of those times where it's possible that like this is taking place at a different time and by dark web you could say that she is uh being more proactively heroic and nicer uh but i don't know if i really buy that we're just kind of back in this space of like it's a little bit of a hodgepodge uh the right hand is not talking to the left hand and that's why we have this one issue that doesn't fit in Hollow's Eve's continuity, doesn't do anything for Spider-Man's continuity, and it just doesn't really make sense with where Maddie is on her journey at the same time. 
I completely agree. I'm 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 listening. I heard the whole thing. I'm also interacting with a, a comment in the chat, and I'm getting ready because I can't wait to see you go off on this with me. Um, uh, so the thing that I want to point out about what you're saying is the nature of what Marvel's trying to do right now is something that I think a lot of companies are taking a little too advantage of. We find ourselves in a complicated time as fans where the nature of trying to navigate multiple universes worth of stories in a single universe is getting hard. Yes. People really want the Marvel Cinematic Universe to translate somehow onto page. People really want the uh, dexterity of their favorite run. Like, if you're asking me what I would rather see happen, do I want to stick with Krakoa or go back? Um, I would go back in an instant if you gave me new X-Men. I would do that in an instant because Krakoa is hard to sustain in the Marvel Universe. New X-Men isn't. Krakoa has to be the star of the Marvel Universe to exist. But New X-Men doesn't. New X-Men is just the same thing as Avengers World. So something that I... What do you mean there's a Hollow's Eve action figure pre-order available on Entertainment Earth? Well, I'm going to look at that later. Oh, yeah. Did you um, not know about that? I didn't. Uh, thank you, Tasty Cake. Uh, but so then what I see happening here is that... They're trying to have their cake and eat it too. There's two versions of Hollow's Eve running around. There's the Hollow's Eve that is Amazing Spider-Man. And then there's the Hollow's Eve that is Erica Schultz's incredible talent. I think they're trying to have everything they want. And I just don't think it's going to work. Yeah, I think you are 100% correct about that. And this is one of those ones where I am not super inclined to make predictions. Uh, the the hypothetical you lined up where like they can't have Maddie back to deal with limbo-y Hollow's Eve powers. So they just depower her and give her other powers. That feels really plausible to me. Uh, but you know, there's, there's just a billion different ways this could go. That Spider-Man annual really ends leaving you thinking, well, they have to come back together and deal with Ben. But the way marvel stuff is happening lately i feel like ben it could be four or five years before we hear from or like deal with ben ever again oh i agree completely um okay real quick kevo you just sent me that link can you pull up the image of that action figure um yes. and then i had I'm, a i had a conversation on twitter with chongo about this action figure it's amazing yeah um, and then I'm going to touch on uh, Cyborg T100's point, and I can't wait. Uh, I I love this figure. I love that it comes with a mask. I love that it comes with a bag. Uh, it makes her look a little more sinister, which I genuinely love. Um, oh, multiple masks. Yay. Yeah. Oh, my God. Look at that articulation. The articulation yeah. of the foot is great. I love the weight of the cowl. Ooh. Ooh. The stance with the hand on the arm and the oh, back I can't wait. that moves like that. I want to put her next to my uh, my Mary Jane from Renew Your Vows. She's going to have a great time with her. Oh, my God. Um, ooh, what a great figure. Ooh. So, all right. Now, but yeah, the fans did not appreciate this one. The the figure or the... The figure. The, just because of the feeling of like, uh, who the hell is this character? She came out of nowhere. She's kind of a forced insert, you know, just... She is. And, I mean, it's all valid. It's yeah. just like, I... My thing... My other really big thing is in my world of like what I could do when I was writing for Marvel, Hallow's Eve weirdly brings us closer to Dark Devil. Yes. Uh, and I like that. 
uh, Hollow's Eve makes Elizabeth Tyne and Ben Riley both feel important enough for their child to show up. And I like that. I agree. Now, just before we get too far from it, I want to bring yep. up uh, Cyborg's comment of, I've never heard of Hallow's Eve, but I would love to see her go up against Sarah from Witchblade. Yeah. Uh, you know, now I'm going to bring up somebody who has gone up against Sarah from Witchblade. Um, but in the 90s, there was a comic book about a woman who could turn into the monsters from her demons and then they would oh, be God. running. Leave me alone. And then they would run rampant all over the earth. And her name was Dark Child. And uh, the Dark Child was uh, the porniest porny comic that ever porned. Um, there was no actual intercourse in it or anything. So it wasn't like one of those books. It wasn't one of Bill Willingham's early books. I'll tell you that much. But uh, it was definitely porny. And uh, they even tried to go back and like reimagine it um, a little bit more kid friendly years later, take out some of the sex, because the idea of a young woman who could overcome her nightmares and uh, could learn to use the things that had hurt her for her own benefit. That's pretty cool. And they really wanted to find a way to make it work. I have every single issue to ever feature Ariel Child. Um, some of us. Uh, yeah, some of us really like seems to remember or yeah. at least. Enjoys the art. But this was part of an era where the covers meant everything. And um, so many people come back to this era and they're like, oh my God, but do you remember how cool those covers were? And I'm like, yeah, but did you ever read the fucking book inside? It was terrible. <laughs> and like Dark Child's a rare example of where it wasn't terrible. It just, it needed a little bit more development. I feel like Hollow's Eve is really the, the disciple of Witchblade, of Dark Child. These characters who were cool conceptually, uh, they had a great visual, but maybe nobody thought out how to make that an ongoing spawn. Which is why yeah. he had to call in Alan Moore, Neil Gaiman, like top talent from all over the world. I'm not saying Spawn is an underdeveloped character now. I'm saying Todd McFarlane's whole idea was Spider-Man and Venom, but punchier. Mm -hmm. So like, you know. But yeah, you know, I, I really think that Hollow's Eve can't be a Deadpool. She can't be a Deadpool because we've already been told she's the next big thing, so that's never going to happen. The only way the next big thing becomes the next big thing is when no one thinks that's going to be the the actual case. Think about Miles Morales. When they introduced him into the Ultimate Universe, they did put some effort into him, but I, I just I remember working at a comic shop when it happened. It was sort of like nobody cared about the Ultimate Universe anymore by that point. Miles was a last ditch to kind of save the Ultimate Universe, and I want to point out he didn't. In fact, Miles Morales so poorly saved the Ultimate Universe, they ended the fucking thing anyway, brought him here, and now they're restarting the Ultimate Universe without him! So, Miles Morales did not save the Ultimate Universe, no matter how badly they wanted him to. He just became one of the best fucking characters in the history of the Marvel Universe ever. So, Hollow's Eve, at best, can uh, kind of suffer from that kind of like... Oh, man, I can't even think of the last character they told us. This is the next big person, so keep your eyes peeled. Oh, the Inhumans. Uh, Halloween uh... can be a successful take on the Inhumans, but, you know, I really worry that Marvel handled her wrong. And I guess the only thing... They did handle her wrong, but I will say, I feel like they didn't quite go to she's the next big thing territory. Okay. But they did elevate 
a basically nothing character to a really big position and then give her a, a, a five issue mini which nowadays is is big uh getting getting in a five issue mini when you have just kind of been established as a as a powerhouse character then she got this spider-man annual and then she got this one shot that's actually a lot but i don't feel like uh I feel like maybe if Marvel did try and say a little bit more that she was the next big thing and try and maybe insert her in a few more books and give her a little bit more status, she might have actually had a chance to charm. Uh, but I feel like the big sin was not trying to say she was the next big thing, but trying to basically skip the line, mm. uh, with a, mm -hmm. with a questionable power set. I really don't hate the power set i just don't think it's sustainable long term i don't think that uh i don't think a halloween themed character can last for the rest of the year and you know it's it's crazy because i was just in uh uh east stroudsburg pennsylvania which um yeah me um so it's actually where my campground is uh but one of the things we passed in east stroudsburg was one of the most beautiful costume shops I've ever seen in my life. It was wall to wall. They had like the most beautiful co costumes I've ever seen in the window. And I just could not think for myself, they must make all of their money in September and October. They, there just must not be a whole, maybe they... uh, she probably runs out to theater companies. Oh, I believe that for sure. A thousand percent, especially with the quality of these props. But like, those things continue to exist. And what I always find really interesting is like, I do it too. I definitely just bought up a bunch of Ghost Rider stuff that I wanted to have the physical version of uh, because we kind of maybe even came to talking about the spooky books because it was spooky season. You know, I, you can actually do a lot of buying all the stuff from <laughs> December to September real fast in October, especially when some of it comes down in price because it's been sitting on the shelf forever. Um, you know, the thing I really hope for more than anything about Hollow's Eve is if we can drop the Hollow and she can just be Eve, I don't think she's a Halloween character because I think the masks can become something different. I think she could get a sidekick and maybe her sidekick, she doesn't make the masks for her. Maybe she shares the power and her sidekick is actually a traditional Japanese woman and creates powerful kabuki masks of uh japanese legends then maybe she uh meets somebody who understands african tribal masks and we can see other eves other mask characters and by removing the word hallow and decentralizing it from this idea of the judeo-christian pagan identity of hallow's eve of halloween perhaps we can take this from a story about a holiday to a story about the ritual masks we wear to survive in many cases as women in cultures that force women to take multiple roles to survive and i think we could save this character in that way my pitch is to remove the Eve collar, just hallow and it's limbo magic. But yes, we are on the same page in so far as, uh, I think that this character has a shot, but it's probably not as just hollows Eve indefinitely. And you know, I, whether it's Elizabeth time, Janine Godby, or any number of other versions of this character, I think at the end of the day, 
what we're hoping for from all of this, whether it's the Hollow's Eve material we were looking at. Let's see. This yeah. The Hollow's Eve material we were looking at. Crypt of Shadows, Werewolf by Night, or Ghost Rider. The main thing that I got out of this run is when Marvel limits their storytelling, we really do see some falters. Now, with next year being the big rise of the vampire uh, at Marvel... And, uh, you know, it's it's really interesting because I see Cyber uh, Cyborg T says, why do you think that Marvel can't really do dark stuff compared to DC and Dark Horse? Actually, Marvel has the most successful dark comic line of all time with Marvel Zombies, which is the best-selling horror comic line at the big two ever. So, like, it really depends on what you come for. Um, next year is going to be the big year of the vampire at Marvel. And I, uh, I'm not that interested. We've done a lot of vampire coverage here at... Uh, and while I love Marvel vampires, what they're doing with Marvel vampires in this is not my vampires. So, I don't know. Future is spooky books. How are you feeling, Teak? Uh, yeah, you and I are kind of on the same page. I, oh, on I, something, finally! <laughs> I really support uh, horror comics at Marvel, but I would like to see it done right. And it just feels like... it. Uh, I don't feel that Marvel has the same enthusiasm and uh, wherewithal to handle it that I have as a fan and reader and a desire to read the books. Sometimes that's just the way it goes. Uh, but I will say I think Ghost Rider continues to be an absolutely stellar horror ongoing. Uh, I really, really do love that book. I wish that they would consider investing in other really great horror writers to come in and tell really great horror stories. Uh, but I have no expectations. I'm just going along for the ride. And, you know, just one more point to cyborgs point. Uh, my favorite is actually what I, uh, my favorite horror comic is what I liken uh, the current Ben Percy ghostwriter book to, which is Hellblazer. Uh, Hellblazer, that original 300 issue run, no offense to anything that came after, nothing compares. Um, that original 300 issues is just untouchable for me. Uh, a lot of it's terrible, but it's my terrible. Don't uh, touch my terrible stuff. Don't touch my terrible. Man, that's got to be a Black Eyed Peas song. Um, <laughs> speaking of Black Eyed Peas, uh, Taboo does some great horror work. Yes. Yes, we didn't have an opportunity to talk about it, but there's new spine tingling Spider-Man. Which is not him writing, but. But and that was you know a project he started. Um, yeah. There is Kushala, uh, the demon writer, who there's some great stories there. Um, Daredevil. I think and we're Echo about to a- get her launch on uh, Marvel Contest of Champions. Uh, I'm so excited. Me too. All right. Well, I think I think we're at wrapping it up. Kevo? Yeah, I got to go trick or treating. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Trick or treat time. Kevo, what was your favorite spooky thing you heard today? Did anything stand out to you as the most spookiest spookinings or? Um, I think the one that sounded probably the most Halloween-y is probably the one I pulled from the most for our episode cover, which is the Hallow's Eve stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really hear what you guys are saying, though, where I feel like... Um, you know, some of these are you're just slapping Halloween on mm-hmm. to slap it on there. And you don't really need to do that. If anything, maybe you want to make these titles feel a little bit less like they have to be trouted out only at Halloween. 
You want to see those year-round sales. These are these people's, uh, you know, for a lot of these people's, it's their royalties. For a lot of these people's, it's those residuals checks that, you know, keep the bills going. So, you know, if you've got that spookiness in your heart, keep it year-round. TK, what was your big, what was your take? Uh, my take has been the same one forever, which is like, let's not limit this all to Halloween. Uh, and also, um... I I had a for as much as I say let's not limit this to Halloween I had a really good like spooky vibey time reading all these books and watching Werewolf by Night in color all in one night so like you can really create a mood out of the Halloween books and the Halloween stuff just you know it's a whole genre it's not just a month let's let's uh let's dig into the whole genre because if if I do have a takeaway from really broadly Marvel stuff at large, it's that like a lot of the stuff that I come for is not in its most exciting moment. And I think uh, sometimes that just has to be how it is while a big creative team finds new inroads to new stories. But that's when you bring in other creators to try other types of stories. And just with all of the phenomenal horror storytelling i see in other places i really think that it can be at marvel as well i can't wait and hopefully 2024 brings some of the best spooky books marvel's had in a number of years and until then uh we've got content coming your way quality all week long we got comics tuesdays wednesdays thursdays one of those days usually it just kind of depends on what's going on with books we got new broadcasts coming to you every saturday and sunday covering tv movies games music and more uh, we love our audience. It has been so incredible getting to celebrate a uh, spooky day with all of you. And uh, until we come back to celebrate more amazing days, Kevo, where can everybody find you online? Uh, you can find me counting down until the next holiday season that we have. Uh, Thanksgiving! Or- Woo! Sure. Mm-hmm. It's part of it. It's all one season to me. No. And I'm fine. Well, you can find us having this debate perhaps over on the Soch at uh, Kevo Really. Is the banner coming up? There it is. At yeah, it Kevo is. Really, K E V O R E A L L Y. Thanksgiving boy, Turkey brother. To be clear, Kevo was you. talking about transitioning over to Christmas season because these two love Christmas and I love them for it. Uh, I just, my favorite holiday is Thanksgiving. So I'm very exciting. I st- excited. I start brining my turkey today so that it will be officially ready. I'm kidding. I don't do that. That would be bad. Oh, I don't know how brine works. Uh, anyway. Uh, you can find me giving away uh, turkey brining recipes at TK Elemental on all of your Soch. Nico, where can everybody find you? You guys can find me literally getting out my uh, holiday stockings uh, after this broadcast. Uh, because, you know, Halloween runs till midnight tonight, but then it's time to start a whole new season. Uh, I love these spooky books, but I keep the spooky in my heart year round. I love Thanksgiving scares. I love I'm Christmas scares. I lo- yeah, I'm always scared. I was born in the 80s. So, um... Reaganomics. Reaganomics. Real so, uh, I also love Cyborg's point. Uh, we should just turn all Thursdays into Thanksgivings and just eat that much every Thursday. At That's least once thing. a month. But, until next time, you guys know what to do. Stay spooky. Stay, uh, stay safe. Be brave, evolve daily, do your thing. 
O sea.